Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another week of the Ninth State Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Marchalina. Joining me once again, a uh, former Sauhegan and Merrimack and Hollis Brookline, and where, where else did you coach around here? Uh, we, have, we have Mike Lockman with me. Mike, how are you doing? This <laughs> I did a year at Milford when I was like 22 years old. <laughs> All right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, throwing your credentials out there, just for anyone that, uh, you know, if, if this is your first year listening to us, we kind of we kind of just jumped right into things, I think, at the beginning. Of course, you've been a, a coach in the state of New Hampshire for a long time. I've been uh, a guy who likes to pretend he knows things about sports and writes about them uh, for, uh, you know, probably not as long, but for quite a while. Uh, so, yeah, there's, that's our, uh, those are our bona fides. Um, Sounds like a deadly combination. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as always, you can send us uh, questions and feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com or on Twitter at nhhsports. Uh, you can listen to the football show Tuesday mornings at nh-highschoolsports.com all season long. And, uh, you know, even if uh, worst-case scenario, something happens to this season, we're, we're probably still going to be doing this because we just we like to talk football that much and we want to, uh, you know, continue to uh recognize what's uh the hard work that the you know especially the seniors have been putting in uh trying to get ready for this season and playing this season and you know we actually have some some football games to talk about this week yeah it's been a long time coming and uh it felt really good to be back in the groove again following scores uh you know some live stream games i've got some uh huddle film that i can watch a little bit because i've I've got connections there so yeah it's pretty cool to be able to see the guys out there and uh you know strapping them on and playing again despite all the complications we've been kind of talking about over the last couple weeks yeah i guess that's been the one uh or one of the benefits of the way uh things are set up this year of course pretty much every at least Division One school has uh, restricted the number of fans that are going to be at games. Um, you know, no visiting fans, I think, at any any games in D1 this year, or at least at the moment. Um, but a lot of the schools are now, you know, using YouTube or their local uh, TV stations or whoever to, uh, to live stream the games, um, which is, you know, those then get saved on the Internet. So... You know, any one of us sitting here Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, you know, right now, um, you know, you can pull that up and watch it yourself uh, on the Internet or, or on your TV. I'm sure you can figure that out. Uh, I don't know if I could. I'm, I don't know how technically uh, savvy I am to that that degree. Um, you know, but and I, I saw, you know, something that, um, of course, Bishop Girton was playing at Merrimack last week and uh they set something up at BG where it was almost like a drive-in. Like they had a they had a screen, and you know people pulled into the parking lot and and were watching the game on, on this uh, on this screen. Uh, yeah, so I saw I saw pictures of that. I don't know whether it was on Twitter or what it was, but yeah, it looked like they had almost like a drive-in movie theater yeah. kind of experience going, where they they had a you know a projector where they were running the stream uh, right into the projector and and watching the game in a in a like you said like a drive-in format. That's uh. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, I, I would have uh, if I were a kid playing. I, you know, or my, you know, I had a kid playing, and I was a parent. I, that would be pretty awesome to. I mean, aside from getting to be there, but you know, that's um, yeah, it's a pretty thing, pretty cool thing to get to do. Uh, you know, I wonder if any uh, any opposing team showed up too and was like, hey, let's uh, let's you know, let's get a look at this. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> you can't scout uh, at some schools, so that might have been the next best thing. Uh, you know, so. We are we are through one week of football. Um, 
Any any general takeaways, uh, you know, from what you saw? We talked a lot about last week about, um, you know, some of these these early games were, were rivalry games this weekend. Uh, you had a lot of them in Division One, Division Two. You had a couple, uh, in some cases, crossing over between divisions, uh, matchups that you wouldn't normally see. You know, it it was kind of a, uh, and then a couple even in uh, I think in D three. Um, you know, what what was just kind of your takeaway from uh, from this first week? Well, uh, so a couple things. So just based on the scores, um, I would say a lot of the games, especially the uh, the the rivalry type games, were very closely contested games. Um, you know, the scores were were tight. A lot of those games came down to big plays in the fourth quarter. You know, we can talk about some of those games as we as we go through the list. But I think the other thing I noticed was that there was there was definitely uh, in some of the film that I was able to see. Um, you know, you, you could tell that the kids missed going to camps and, and having, uh, you know, a longer preseason because there was, there was also some rust, right? Some things did not look as crisp. Uh, and, and that's in no way to, to say uh, that the kids didn't do a good job, the coaches didn't do a good job. It's just there's limited time. They're, they're playing without having really a scrimmage or, uh, you know, seven-on-sevens all summer or what have you. So you could tell that there was a little bit of rust there, but um, – it didn't take away from, I think, the the quality of the games that got played. Um, there might have been a little bit more yellow on the ground, uh, you know, especially in the first half of some of these games. But that, that was kind of what I took away, that the games were, especially against sort of the, the rivals, were pretty tightly contested. And, you know, it looks like they're still shaking off some rust from not having what they're used to having for prep before that first game. Yeah, normally you'd have like what um, three, f- you know, the way it's set up now, three full weeks pretty much uh, to prepare for that first game. But then you'd also have two or three scrimmages mixed in, uh, you know. And of course, this year no scrimmages, like you said. And then it was about, I think, I want to say from start date to start of practice to the first game last Friday, it was about two and a half weeks. But I'm not, I don't think everyone started on the eighth. I mean, a lot of schools did, but I know, you know, that was. Um, of course, the the primaries here in New Hampshire for for state elections, uh, you know, and and of course, where's your where's your polling place in a lot of a lot of towns and cities? It's it's the the high school, um, right? You know, so I know there were a couple schools that waited a day because you know they were their school was going to be overrun with uh, with people coming to vote, um, you know. So that's one one day chopped off there. Uh, so yeah, you, I think you're right. It was a, a lot of. Um, you know the big thing that 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 I saw and and what I've heard coaches have had coaches say to me was um, timing, uh, timing offensively was off in a lot of cases. Uh, yeah. You know which you know it, it's a it, it doesn't sound like much but it's a big deal especially when it comes to your passing game. Um, you know and I think that the um, that led maybe a little bit to a, a lack of uh, big plays. Like I know there were. Um, well, and what I mean by big plays are are, are like long gains like. Um, you know, of course, there were big plays being made, but you didn't. I don't think there were a ton of those. You know, fifty, sixty, seventy-yard uh, scoring plays, uh, unless you had mistakes on the defensive side. Uh, and if and I'm, you know, I talking to um, I forget who I was talking to about this. You know, but but that's kind of the when I asked if you know is it, are defenses ahead of offenses at this point? It's like well, no, not necessarily, but you see the mistakes more on offense because an incomplete pass, you know. It, it hurts the offense. It doesn't hurt the defense. You know, the defensive mistakes are the 70-yard runs or the, you know, blown coverages or right. nice tackle, those kind of things. And, and, and that's a little, 
I think, easier to just prepare for or be ready to, to get back into. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It, it's, you know, and it's almost like I've said in years past, too, about the Jamboree, um, which is sort of like that first game-like test. There, there seems to always be huge special teams plays in the Jamborees. And I think that's because at that point you haven't had as much time to practice the timing um, and the spacing that is appropriate for, for a really good special teams play. Although it's interesting, looking at the games this past week, I actually fully expected because of that uh, assumption that I make that, that bigger special teams happen, uh, plays happen earlier in the, in the season and certainly sort of in the Jamboree period. Um, I don't think there were a lot of big special no. teams, plays, although there were a few that really mattered in games. And again, we can kind of, we'll, I think we'll talk about some of those as we go through, but there were definitely some, uh, you know, some PAT blocks and things like that, that um, made huge differences in very, very big games. But, but, you know, there was one big offensive play. It said, you know, there weren't a whole lot of big breakers uh, this week. There was one big one that rang out across the state, I think on Friday night. And that was the, uh, the Kai Colson 81 yard run, uh, you know, in the, in the final minutes of the game to, to kind of put Memorial uh, in position to beat central for the first time in many years. Yeah, a couple of years. It's been, a, yeah, I think I want to say maybe 2014, uh, 2015, somewhere in there. I think that's what I saw, but yeah, you're right. That was the, that was a, a yeah, a huge one. Um, especially, you know, with Memorial was down what 14 to nothing in that game. Uh, they had to come back, yeah. Um, you know, and that's that's kind of no easy feat for even you know your most seasoned of teams. Um, you're talking about a Memorial team that that you know outside of the win they had last year to open the season hadn't won a game in um, you know I think over four years. You know, so that yeah that that kind of play at late in the game and then to um, th- to be able to hang on it just uh, it, it it it's a huge I mean that's huge for them and who you know who knows what it does kind of moving forward especially you know i think with with their schedule um you know it's it's again more regional um you know they play at concord this week you know who struggled themselves against trinity uh you know and then i think they actually play west back-to-back games um if the schedule is right (laughs) yeah um you know so that's you know maybe um you know it could be interesting and maybe maybe it, it's funny, you know, with the with the open, what we're assuming is going to be an open playoff, um, you know, you can almost will t- be able to tell, like, I think in this first week or two, who's going to be playing one of those early round games and who's not. So that, you know, maybe winning a couple of games, that, that helps you avoid that, obviously. Yeah, well, in a comeback like that against a city rival, week one, when you've been a struggling program, that can, like what you've been inferring, that can propel you through an entire season. I mean, it can just juice you. It, it's amazing what that first game of the season does to set the tone for the rest of the year and especially to do it in that fashion. Um, and and we, we were talking about big plays uh, and, and big special teams plays. And stuff. Well, Memorial benefited from a big special teams play too, which is was the, the Jake Calibro uh, block with, with seconds left in the game after, a, you know, a, that, that was ended up being the difference. Yeah. So they the game had two of the of the things we were talking about, but um, but yeah, that was a big one. I wanted to make sure we we hit on that. <laughs> Congratulations to Memorial and to uh, 
Coach Sturgis, and uh, you know, it, you know the the landscape of that group, as you were saying, could be um, severely impacted just by any momentum that Memorial might carry into the rest of this shortened season. Mm-hmm. Um, want to make sure we mention too uh, the game uh, game I was at Friday night, um, the other big city rivalry, uh, Nashua North and Nashua South. Um, you know, that was one that, um, you know, I was curious to see how, um, you know, North's Curtis Harris Lopez looked, uh, coming back from, you know, the injury he had last year. I mean, he was, he was back to, to full strength during basketball season in the winter. So, you know, not so much that, you know, I wondered, you know, is it, it wasn't a serious knee injury, thankfully. Um, but yeah, just wanted to see what he, he looked like, you know, with another, another, uh, off season under his belt. You know, they've looks like they've got some not just some some skill kids around him who can make some plays. I, I was really impressed with their line play on both sides of the ball. They've got some big kids. They're returning a lot of guys. Um, they just took it to south in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, that was that was one where, you know, we're mentioning the, the lack of big plays. I think their longest play for North was was 26 yards. Yeah. You know, and that came on a scramble in the first quarter. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people look at that and be like, wow. You know, I think North had almost 400 yards rushing, um, you know, and, and, and people will probably look at that and say, wow, what's up with South's defense? I actually think South played pretty well defensively in that game. Um, I think if, if South wasn't as good defensively as they are, uh, that game would have been a lot uglier. Yeah, I you know, I, I, I watched the film that you took uh, pretty carefully, just trying to get a sense for how that game went. And, you know, because I looked at the yardage disparity – uh, in in the article and the tweets that you were posting, right? I mean, uh, you had put at one point that uh, South got held to 25 yards of offense in the whole second half. Yeah, yeah. Outside of the 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 touchdown throw, you know, North had 360 yards on the ground, 19 first down. So I was like, boy, this it sounds like the score should have been a lot different than it was. But then I watched the film, and you're right. I think a lot of people think about uh, North speed, and they think about uh, Curtis Harris Lopez as being this huge game breaker, which he is and, and the other weapons that they have, but really their approach uh, to offense was very methodical yeah. against South. I think they knew South was a good defense. They have a lot of speed. They had a couple of good kids back um, sort of in their linebacker core. And so they didn't, and, and, you know, to your point earlier about, Hey, sometimes on offense, the timing isn't there. Well, you know, big plays, are usually predicated on critical timing. So I, I, whether they did it intentionally or not, I, I have no idea, right? But it's almost like the North offensive coaching staff said, hey, look, we're going to march the ball. We're going to use our offensive line. We're going to block our tails off, give our beasts the ball, and we're just going to be methodical about how we go about our business and sort of take what, what we know we can get from South. And uh, I, I thought that was really interesting uh-huh. that they were patient and methodical this early in the season yeah. that they had confidence in their line and in their, uh, their workhorses to do that kind of a, take that kind of approach. And it paid off. Um, one crazy stat, uh, from that first, the first half of that game, um, North was just, uh, one of three on third downs, uh, which, I mean, if you, you know, you say that it sounds, you know, what's up with that? Like, how do you only have, you know, you only convert a third of your, your third downs, how do you know, but they had, I, I want to say, 12 first downs 
Uh, yeah, because they were getting them on first and second down. They were. They yeah. averaged uh, in the first half. They averaged six yards on first down. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's going to be a great night if that's what your <laughs> if that's what your statistics yeah. look like on first down. That's that's what, and that's exactly what we're saying, right? Just that workmanlike, um, you know, method to moving the ball. Now they play Merrimack this week, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yep. yep. They, ha- yeah. they host Merrimack and. Uh, and South goes to Pinkerton, um, you know, and, you know, you look at, obviously, I mean, Merrimack, we know, has been a team that's been in the playoffs uh, quite a bit since Kip Jackson took over as head coach. Uh, you know, they, they've knocked North out of the playoffs in each of the last two years. Uh, but it's a really different Merrimack team. I mean, they, they graduated a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's going to be, uh, you know, that one may not be, I, I think, as close as, as maybe people might expect it to be. I wouldn't be surprised if North is a little is able to, to break off a couple of those bigger plays. Um, but th- I also, you know, I'm not saying North's going to blow them out or anything, but but I think Merrimack's, you know, maybe we'll keep the game close for a little while, and then maybe you see at the end as they start to wear down a little bit, maybe North is able to wear them down a little bit, um, you know, and pull away at the end. Yeah, I got a good look at the at the Merrimack versus BG game and to talk about offensive timing being off. I, I think both teams struggled a little bit with that. Um, you know, there were there were a few sort of wide open opportunities down the field um, for both teams that were that were missed. Um, you know, you could tell there were some things in the on the offensive line on both teams that that the timing was off a little bit, right? Whether it was in the run game and just the blocks weren't developing uh, at, with the right timing for the backs hitting the lanes or, or whether it was pass protection stuff where, you know, guys were just missing assignments. So I'm, I'm not saying it was sloppy by any stretch. I'm just saying you could, you know, again, it, it looked like uh, in some respects sort of what you expect to see jamboree time right. because that's essentially what it is. Right. And especially for a team um, like you said, like Merrimack, right. Where they're, they're really in a rebuilding mode at this point right i think they've got a lot of younger guys uh, talented younger guys but they've got younger guys that are filling in spots um you know so they're just sort of getting the feel for how that all meshes together um but it should be interesting because i I, you know from what i saw from merrimack they their defensive line is good yeah um they've got some really strong well-coached kids that play in that front four and um not to say that that South's wasn't, but I haven't seen South's uh, line or didn't pay much attention to it when I was when I was watching the film. Um, but uh, Merrimack's front looks like they're pretty solid. So, um, you know, if that forces Nashua to throw a little bit more than they want, you know, the game could be a little tighter. But uh, um, but 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 if Nashua rolls through Merrimack, then that's going to tell you a lot about about Nashua. Yeah. Um, you know, and then we mentioned. Um... You know, South is going out to play Pinkerton, who, uh, you know, after owning the Mac plaque for, uh, what, the better part of two decades, uh, Pinkerton looking at, at now at a little bit of a, a losing streak against Londonderry. Uh, yeah. You know, they lost, uh, or Londonderry won that one 23 14 uh, on Friday. So their third win in a row against Pinkerton, uh, including the playoff game last year. You know, and, uh, not quite, not quite the comeback that Memorial had against Central, but um, you know, for Londonderry, it was kind of um, a moment where, where you know, I think in the past, um, you know, that they might have things might have gone a different way. I think they were up thirteen nothing uh, 
um, you know, midway through the second quarter. Pinkerton puts a drive together, scores, uh, forces a punt, gets the ball back, goes right down the field, scores again, and all of a sudden it's 14-13. You know, yeah. And, and, you know, in a situation like that against, you know, a team that's owned you for a long, long time, um, you know, Londonderry sucked it up, got back out on the field, drove down and kicked a field goal before halftime, and, and then uh, really didn't let Pinkerton do anything in the second half offensively. So, you know, a huge win for them. Uh, but, you know, that sets up an interesting matchup between South and Pinkerton uh, this Friday in Derry, uh, two teams that we expect to be really good this year, uh, both 0-1, uh, really, you know, not wanting to go 0-2 for sure. Yeah, well, in a, in a shortened season, and yeah, you're talking about two programs that uh, you expected to be competing, and I still do expect to be competing towards the end of this thing. Uh, you know, to think that either one of those programs would be starting out 0-2 is almost unthinkable. Um, so th- that's going to be a heck of a battle. But, you know, hats off to Londonderry for all the reasons that you mentioned in terms of facing the... Um, you know, so the momentum shifts with a lot of courage and tenacity, but uh, they got it done with some familiar names, right? So uh, Dylan McEachern uh, playing quarterback for London. I'm sure you remember Jake McEachern. Oh, yeah, of course. So his younger brother comes in and in his, uh, you know, starting debut, what does he do? Well, he, he just runs for 215 yards on the ground and another 120 through the air against Pinkerton. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, they weren't out there against yeah. the the Sisters of the Blind or anything. I mean, that's a that's a good Pinkerton team. It, it, albeit, I would say a Pinkerton team that's built a little differently um, than what I've seen in the past. Right? They've got a fullback. Um, oh, what's the young man's it, name? Evan Wilson. Wilson, thank yeah. you. And I mean, he is. You know, you used to uh, Pinkerton usually has pretty good fullback, but they're this kid's got to go two fifteen, two twenty, and he's got wheels and. It seems like they they are more dependent on him guard to guard, just running straight ahead and taking away angles and and powering through than they are on their their sort of perimeter speed that they've been in the past. So, um, interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that was a great game. You know, the uh, probably the surprise uh, or the eye opener of the the weekend happened out on the seacoast. Um, you know, where you had. Uh, Winnicott, it's, you know, shocking. I think maybe the state beating Exeter sixteen to thirteen, um, you know, in in a game where they got out to a, a thirteen nothing lead and had to, uh, I think, yeah, thirteen nothing lead had to hang on there uh, to get that win, you know. And Exeter, you know, drove down the field in the final moments, and you know, a uh, a big stop by uh, Winnicott's defense. Um, forgetting, oh. That uh, I, I'm probably going to say this wrong. David Arojo, Arroyo. Um, I was going to say, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> Aruo or something. Uh, and I feel bad that you know I looked at that name several times and said, no matter what, I'm not going to get this. <laughs> and he was kind of the star of the game. Yeah, I think he, right? Didn't he have a the sack? A sack on uh, it was an obvious passing down. It was like fourth and six or something like that. But yeah, fourth and you six, know, fourth and six Exeter being Exeter, they had a chance to to kind of pull it off and um he came through the line and and uh and dropped the exeter quarterback who had had a, a relatively good game i think Burnell, uh Burnell. and um 
you know, made a huge play in a, in a massive game right when it counted the most. So that's huge. You know, and, you know, from talking to, you know, some other coaches, I mean, a lot of, I think a lot of us who, you know, aren't, aren't, you know, breaking down the film every week and, and watching the off season workouts and, and the preseason and all that, um, you know, might've looked at, at Winnicott and said, wow, they were, they were won one game a year ago and they, you know, they were really young. What are they going to be coming back this year? But, you know, talking to a couple other coaches, they, they weren't quite as surprised, I think, by that, that, uh, upset, um, you know, just knowing what kind of Winnicott team, uh, was coming back this year that they'd, you know, they had a lot of young kids last year and, and those young kids got experience and, you know, hats off to them for, for being able to, to open the, the year with, with such a big win. And again, like Memorial, who knows what kind of momentum that creates uh, moving yeah. on down the road. And um, no, the other thing, too, I wonder, you know, that game, again, no visiting fans allowed at the games. Uh, and 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 I kind of wondered about this with the Mac Platt game, too. The game was played at Londonderry. This one was played at Winnicunit. Um, you know, so, I mean, these are like real road games uh for for some yes. of these schools like you're going on the road and you are you are by yourself it's kind of like a college or pro situation where you know you're not going to really have too many people cheering you on uh right you right all you, all you're hearing is the is the hostile crowd if you're a visitor yeah um you know and and hats off to win a cunit too because i got to tell you and i've mentioned this before i think one of the hardest things to do in all of high school sports not not high school football in all of high school sports is to quickly recover in high school football from a down year. I think that's a very, very difficult thing for a coach and a group of seniors and a, and a leadership core in a program to do because um, there, there's so many different factors involved, right? But, you know, a football season is far less games than most other um, high school sports seasons are. And it's a, I think it's a much greater commitment because you have less games, you have more practice, less games. And so I think it's hard in terms of your, your school culture, your football culture, if you have a, a one in eight year, for example, to really rally uh, from a leadership perspective to say, hey, no, you know, we're going to come back next year. We're going to be good. I mean, other than just blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Rhetoric and words, right. To really rededicate yourselves to what you, you know, what you want to be better at and how hard you need to work in the off season. And to, you know, to, to come off of a season like the Warriors had last year and start out this way. Uh, I mean, what a huge job of, of leadership and the coaching staff on that team to be able to do that. I mean, Exeter has five starters back from last year's runner up team on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Exeter is not like, in rebuilding mode. I mean, they didn't, they certainly didn't, uh, you know, return nine, 10 guys, but we, we know Exeter is extraordinarily well coached. And if they've got five, six core guys back, they're always going to be tough contenders. So I, I don't think Winnicott beat a weekend Exeter either. Oh, I think that's a no, good absolutely. Exeter team yeah. that they, uh, that they, they uh, gutted a win out over. So that's, that's huge. Yeah, definitely not uh not a result that, you know, you want to sit here and say, Oh, we're going to count Exeter out. That's, they're done. No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, you know, and they have an interesting, an interesting game coming up this week. They're on the road again, uh, unless you know. Again, s- schedules this year, I think, are going to be just assume that they are subject to change, and yeah. you should probably check with your school before you plan on attending the home games. Um, 
but they they have to go on the road again and play at Dover, which um, you know they might have a little bit of an advantage there, th- you know, going on the road this time, just because Dover didn't get to to play a game uh, to open the season. Uh, of course, with their game against uh, Sp- uh, Spalding getting canceled because of um, some some positive COVID uh, cases at Spalding, um, you know, so that should be right. interesting. And these really well coached teams uh, like Exeter, uh, like South. Pinkerton, we talked about, like Merrimack, although Merrimack got the win this week, but I was going to say, these really well-coached teams are are not typically the teams that are going to go and take two losses in a row. So you know that Exeter is not going to have a hangover from that loss. And to your point, Dover, this is their opener. So they might be at that sort of jamboree level of timing and so forth, although they've had the, the, the practice, I, I, I think, right? Or have, had, did they shut practice down too? I don't, I don't know. I don't That's actually an interesting practice um, up until maybe this week. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's an interesting matchup for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, and then, um, you know, a couple of the other, other D one games you had, um, you had Goffstown beating Bedford, uh, Salem welcoming Alvern back to D one with a big win. And uh, we probably talk a little more about when we get to, to the D3 conversation, but you had uh, Concord falling at Trinity. Um, but, you know, looking at this week, you know, we talked about, you know, 0-2 teams, or, or excuse me, teams that don't want to go to 0-2, and you've got um, another matchup. Bedford is hosting Central this week. Uh, both of those teams are 0-1. Um, you know, and then you've got an interesting, uh, and, and I guess maybe, maybe this can be our segue into the D2 conversation. You've got Bishop Girton, um, you know, losing that close game at Merrimack. Now they're going on the road again Saturday night. They're playing at Sauhegan, which, um, you know, has kind of been, you know, the uh, outside of Plymouth, maybe the, the team that's been kind of given the the bullseye in Division II. Uh, you know, they were 20 to nothing winners over uh, Hollis Brookline, uh, the defending D2 champs, uh, last Friday. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a good one to start talking about, actually, is, uh, is that game and that, and that, Coming matchup. So, but first, before we get on, I do want to say congratulations to Coach Nick Hammond at Goffstown for his first win, um, and I think it was a pretty gutsy win uh, over in Bedford too. They've got a good nucleus back with Hanalt and Picard and some of those other guys. So, um, you know, here, here you go again. Goffstown's going to be competitive like they always are every year, um, even with a, a new coach. They pick up and run because because it's a good group of guys and a, and a good coaching staff. But um, yeah, so Sauhegan. So we talked about teams uh, having that sort of jamboree look to them. I, I took a look at some film that was online, or maybe it was the live stream uh, at some points of the of the Sauhegan Hollis Brookline game. Uh, I'm going to tell you, Sauhegan did not look like they were competing in a, at a jamboree level. <laughs> Um, they looked really good. Um, they've got a lot of guys back as, as we talked about last week. And, um, you know, they, you know, they've been kind of classically, um, like a classic spread team, right? They, they can go long when they need to. They're very, very good in sort of the short game, uh, with screens and, and just very quick slants and, and, uh, you know, RPO type throws, but, Riley Lawhorn was a beast for them against uh, what I think is a pretty good Hollis Brookline defense. I mean, um, Sauhegan looked really good. You, you talked about timing. Uh, I watched their offensive line do a lot of uh, 
you know, blocking down and pulling and, and all kinds of really pretty gap scheme blocking to, to free up Lawhorn. And uh, they looked good. They looked really good. And then they shut out what has traditionally been a very, very high-powered offense. Right. Yeah. So I think that says a lot. And it's going to be fascinating. Uh, first time ever, um, BG playing in the jungle against yeah, Sauhegan. Again, it's a really that's going to be weird, like eerie weird. I kind of want to go see that game just for the novelty of it. uh, Strange things are going to happen this year. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, you know, I will say uh, we keep talking about these these teams being in uh, in early season form or preseason or jamboree form or whatever. And I will tell you right now, I am still in preseason form as well, uh, because this was the point you mentioned Hollis getting shut out. This is the point where I would have. Uh, thrown out a stat of oh you know and, and and Hollis hasn't been shut out in this many games or you know the last time it happened was this time and uh, I'm I'm telling you right now I don't have that right in front of me yeah <laughs> yeah I want to say it was something like uh, they I think they lost the game to Pelham like seven to nothing a couple years ago um, so that sounds really familiar actually because I remember. I almost, I almost think you and I talked about that because we were like, "How did that happen?" Like they had put up like forty-two points on a good opponent the week before, and it was, well, they okay, it was like actually, seven nothing or you know actually just, nine nothing or something. We were like, "What the heck it happened was, there?" Um, it, I, actually, now that I'm looking at it, I feel like I might have even been at this game. <laughs> uh, shows how great my memory is. Uh, six nothing. They lost to Pelham in 2017. Yeah, uh, and then they turned around the following week and beat Sauhegan 48-42. That's it. Yeah, that that was the weird. Yeah, yeah. That was the weirdness, uh, right? So I think yep. that's. I think it's been since 2017 since that happened. Unless there might have been another one, actually against Pelham in between. Then, um, really, that's been the only team that's that's been able to shut down Hollis's uh, Hollis's offense. Um, you know, over that time. Um, yeah. You know, the other uh, other kind of couple interesting matchups. You know, there were a bunch of uh, a handful of games uh, that were kind of crossovers. There, you had uh, Lebanon beat Stevens, which is—I uh, mean, they were both in D3 last year. Lebanon moved up this year. Uh, they were 58-14 winners. Uh, Hanover took on uh, last year's D4 runner-up Fall Mountain, beat them 38 nothing. And then you had the the uh, old-school matchup of coaches that we talked about last week with uh, Joe Raycraft's Merrimack Valley. Uh, beating Tony Johnson's Bishop Brady, uh, thirty-five to six, you know. So those were uh, a couple of games that um, you know we kind of, you know, you'd expect the the D two team to win there, um, but we weren't really sure what to expect because some of those, uh, especially Fall Mountain, there, you know, they had a pretty successful year, returning some pretty good kids. But there were two other games that, re- or excuse me, three other games that really kind of, again, opened my eyes. Um, I don't know about about you there, but the. Uh, you had Guilford Belmont uh, just really uh, going to town on St. Thomas. Uh, 42-14 was that final. Uh, ah, yeah. Guilford Belmont has been a steadily improving program over the last three or four seasons, no question. But St. Thomas has been, you know, as close to an elite program, I guess, as you could anoint an elite program. Now, you and I talked last week about they've had some um, – you know, some disruption in the, at, at the head coaching position. Um, and, and they've, lo- they really not had the consistencies that there since Eric Kumba left. Right. Um, so, you know, maybe that's taken its toll, but, but St. Thomas has always been very talented, extremely physical on defense. They, they seem to always have 
a premier, at least not a close to premier quarterback, you know, going back to Sean DeCorn and these guys. Um, so, you know, you, you expect them to kind of be that same St. Thomas team. And, uh, and maybe they are, maybe they're not. I, I don't have enough intel on that game, but uh, that's, that's not a we squeaked a win out. Yeah. Yay, the underdogs got it done, Guilford Belmont win. I mean, that's a convincing, leave no doubt, we might just be for real, Guilford Belmont win. So that's pretty, that, that, that was a pretty uh, um, convincing, yeah, very eyebrow raising one. Um, and speaking of 42 points, you also had Pembroke uh, putting up the same amount on uh, John Stark. They got a 42 20 win, which, um, you know, that was a, a, you know, not that I, I expected. You know, I, I we weren't talking about Stark being you know one of the top two or three teams in the division, but I you know feel like they've had Pembroke's number for a couple of years, and and that one was just kind of a surprise. And then the the real one that um, you know I you had um, you know Timberlane coming down from D one to D two, and then traveling all the way up to Plymouth, uh, and you know they nearly pulled that one out. Plymouth winning sixteen to fourteen. Uh, yeah, and that was another one of those. Uh really tightly contested games where, um, you know, there, there, there had to be some big plays made late. I'm trying to remember what the circumstances were, but I thought, I thought that, uh, there was sort of a, a late charge by Timberlane, if I'm not mistaken. And Plymouth kind of had to hold on, uh, you know, in a, a stand at the end of the game. I, I can't remember the details, but if I remember correctly, that game could have gone the other way, you know, on the, the snap of a finger. And uh, Plymouth had to pull out a really gutsy defensive performance um, kind of late in the fourth so, quarter to, to seal the deal. Yeah, Timberlane had uh, Timberlane scored late to get within two uh, and then recovered the onside kick. Uh, but correct, correct. There was an onside kick that. at the yeah. very end, yeah. Yeah, couldn't take advantage of that. Uh, yeah. You know, so, um, you know, that's that's – Again, an interesting match. I don't, you know, I definitely don't think either of those teams have played before. If they have, it's you know, was probably back in well before both of our times. Yeah. Um, you know, so that was that's an interesting one. And then uh, the game I was at Saturday, uh, you had uh, Bo beating Hillsborough during Hopkinton twenty-seven to fourteen, in what was really just kind of a uh, an all-day rock fight. Like it was. Uh, you know, you had, I mean, Bo, of course, uh, you know, power running team, um, you know, that's what they do. And they just really wore down, uh, HDH. It was just, um, and it was a, it was a tough day, uh, to, to play, you know, we'd had that, that, what, that cold stretch of weather there for a little bit. Uh, and then all of a sudden you show up Saturday and it's hot and humid, um, yeah. you know, and, and that visiting sideline at Bo, you were in the sun all day. Uh, yeah. it, it's just baking you. And, you know, it, 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 I know for the first quarter I was on the bow sideline, and thankfully you get a little bit more shade there after that first quarter, early, you know, mid-second quarter. Uh, and, and thankfully we did. I, you know, I could feel it on the back of my neck. Um, you know, so it was, a, it was a hotter day out there than, than many probably would have expected. Uh, of course, that factors into when you got guys just, you know, that keep coming at you and wave after wave. Um, you know, the guy that stands out for me for Bo was, uh, you know, Andrew Robbins, who really kind of took over the, the, uh, you know, work, took over as the work workhorse, uh, in the second half of that game and just, you know, just kept pounding the ball at, at, uh, the Red Hawks. Uh, you know, they made, they made, did make things interesting there. You know, Bo scored, uh, in the fourth quarter to make it 27, uh, six. I thought, ah, okay, this, this looks like it could be it. 
And then, um, you know, the Red Hawks just, they came up with um, a big fourth down play. Uh, Mike Oberheim hit, uh, um, blanket on his first name, Jacobson was the, is his last name, um, on just a beautiful pass play. Um, I think it was like fourth and 20 from the 33. Um, you know, so they got oh, wow, yeah. out. Yeah. And then, um, you know, and then on Bo's next drive, they forced a turnover and, and get the ball back at midfield. And, you know, things got a little interesting. They just weren't able to capitalize on it. Yeah, and it sounded like from, from uh, talking to you a little bit and talking to some some uh, folks that I know that were there, um, it, it sounded like exactly what you said, that, that um, you know, the shortened preseason and and just that, that power scheme coming right at you all day might have really just kind of worn down from a conditioning standpoint. HDH and they just didn't have enough enough juice or depth, uh, you know, or or just you know, getting over being rubbery legged a little bit yeah, um, yeah. out there doing that for the first time with no scrimmages or anything. It, it might have just overtaken them a little bit, and you know that's why those teams are successful sometimes because they just they do they come off the ball and they punch you in the face and you had best be ready to strap up for forty eight minutes. Right. Uh, it was. I, I will say though, I was impressed with. Um you know, with the Red Hawks, just that they were able to hang in that game. Um, I know, you know, they were, they originally were a D2 team when the program first, you know, started, what, as a varsity program five years ago, six years ago, I think, um, and moved down. Yeah, I think it was 2016 might have been their first, or maybe 15, yeah. Yeah. 16, I think, sounds right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, and then they moved down. We're a playoff team in D3 and then came back up this year. So, you know, you really didn't really know what to, what to expect. Um, and, and Mike Oberheim at quarterback, um, you know, he looks like he's taken a step. Um, you know, made some decent throws, uh, moves really well uh, back there. They've got him, you know, rolling out quite a bit. And, uh, you know, his, his play fakes were, were pretty good. Um, I, you know, he might have caught me a couple times there, but fortunately I was – my camera was zoomed out far enough. You don't really see, you know, the uh, that jerking motion of oh my god, where's the ball? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, I was I was actually pretty impressed with how they looked, and of course, Bo looks like Bo. Um, you know, they're going to definitely be a team to contend with uh, in the, in this shortened season. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think HDH has a really good quarterback. I mean, yeah, they lost Colby Quiet, who carried a lot of um, their offensive production, especially in the first five games last year, but. You know, what I've heard and seen from HDH is they're ready to sort of, um, you know, be a little bit more of a team uh, thing in terms of their offense and spreading the ball between different kids, letting Oberheim do his thing. Um, and, and that's really pretty when that comes together, and, and I'm sure it will for them. Uh, any other D- thoughts on D2 before we move on to uh, a couple of these D3 games? No, I'm 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 super jacked to talk about the Trinity Concord game. <laughs> <laughs> or why, don't, why don't we take it? Why don't you, you? We already mentioned it a little bit. Trinity was a, a twenty-two to seven winner uh, over Concord, and I think what their first meeting since two thousand seven, something like that. Um, and I guess the the star of the game was what was Trinity's um, Peter Alessandro, right? Yeah, yeah. I, he, you know, I think the thing that was surprising to me was he was, you know, he was a really good athlete for Trinity last year, I think. I think he started at quarterback for yeah, them. He started at yeah, quarterback, and I, I want to say defensive back. Yeah, he was, a, he was a, uh, like a corner, I think. And, uh, 
but you know, I don't think he, I don't think he ran the ball much last year. I think they were, they were uh, really content to sort of hand the ball to, to uh, the Tebow's. And there was another, there was another pretty good back that they had in their backfield last year that they mixed it up with a little bit. And, uh, and, you know, they might've let uh, Alessandro, you know, do some things, but it was really kind of the, the, the Tebow show. Well, Alessandro comes out here has, uh, you know, 150 yards, maybe just shy of 150 yards rushing and scores every one of those 22 points against division one Concord, who's been, you know, a pretty consistent, uh, you know, playoff or verge playoff team, you know, the last year or so, uh, maybe not as much, but, you know, Concord is, is always kind of a competitive, right. uh, well-coached team with lots of good athletes across the board. Um, I don't have a lot of, you know, I didn't see any film on that game. I don't know whether they live streamed that one or not, but I'd be lying to say that I expected Trinity to win that game by that margin. Right. Yeah. You know, and not because the division differences and all that kind of stuff. I mean, Hey, Trinity was a champion last year. They brought a lot of core guys from that group back. So I knew it was going to be a competitive game, but I, I did not expect Trinity to win that game 22 to seven against a team like Concord, um, you know, that's been playing really elite competition in division one football for, for years and years. So, that's a massive win for Trinity. Again, talking about these wins that can sort of propel you, right? I mean, you got to automatically be saying, okay, so is Trinity on that same path that they were last year to just be an elite team? Sure looks like it. Yeah. <laughs> At least after one game. You know, and then and they, this week they've got a game that, um, you know, it, it could be um, – or you know they're going up another division to to play. They're they're going to Manchester West. Uh, at least that's what's on the schedule. Uh, you know West did not have a game uh, in the in the week one. Um, you know so they're kind of in the same boat that we talked about with Dover. Um, you know, kind of uh, getting their feet wet against a team that's um, you know coming in on a roll. You would think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a it's a good matchup. Um. And who does Concord go with now? Uh, Concord has Memorial uh, at home uh, Friday night. Trinity, and, and you know, the rest of their schedule is pretty interesting, too. Uh, you know, they, they of, course, of course, beat Concord. Um, they go to West this week. Yeah. Uh, the following week, they play Pelham at home. Um, you know, another team that, that we're expecting to be a contender in D3. Yeah. Following week, they host BG. And then wow, BG is all over the place, huh? <laughs> and they're then, playing like an independent schedule, like Notre Dame or something. Yeah. Although uh, not this year, but <laughs> and yeah. Then, um, and then they finish out um, potentially, um, you know, playing at Campbell. Uh, yeah. So this is a this is a pretty legit schedule for for uh, a Trinity team that uh, you know looks looks pretty good after one week for sure. Yeah, certainly it's too early to, to you know, anoint anybody. But, um, again, it's an impressive performance. It can't be overlooked. I think the other thing that, that could get lost in stories like this is that um, the Trinity defense came to play, right? I mean, it was it was 16 nothing at halftime, uh, if, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And for most of that first half, Concord couldn't get the running game going. Yeah. And, again, that's something where, you know, the stereotype is that the, the division one team is going to be the sort of have the superior size and depth on their line. 
And even if the skill position players are comparable, it really comes down to that division one line is going to wear you down and they're going to grind you into the ground. Uh, if you're a smaller division team, because you just don't have the, the pool to draw from to get those larger athletic kids five across the board. Yeah. And the Trinity defense stymied the Concord running game for the most part. Um, so that's another one of those things where you got to look at it and say, you know, hey, you give Alessandro his due um, offensively, but obviously that was a huge team effort um, for Trinity to, to contain um, Concord as they did. Um, and as you know, that's, that's a big part of winning championship games too, is do you have that defense that can play the run really well? Uh, also in D3, there were a couple of, uh, a couple of rivalry games that, uh, one, one, I don't think has been, uh, contested recently, or, or I guess maybe, maybe it's more of a rivalry just in the, in the schools in general. You had Winnesquam beat Laconia, uh, 13, nothing. Uh, of course, Winnesquam yep. moving up to D3 from D4 after winning the last two, uh, D4 titles. And then, uh. Much more of a uh, a recent rivalry. You had Monadnock going to Campbell and winning twenty eight twenty. That's one of those uh, more rivalry based on uh, familiarity and and just repeated matchups in the playoffs uh, over the last couple of years. Um, a bizarre stat from that Monadnock game: mm-hmm. three touchdown passes from Nate Doyle to, <laughs> to Zion Carroll. Yeah, that's a that is an unusual stat for Monadnock. Not right. not <laughs> yeah. known as the uh, the an air raid offense there. Um, no, no, not at all. I mean, you know, and that's not to it's not to um No, no. You know, I'm not trying to poke fun <laughs> at Monadnock. I'm a big fan of uh of that power run type of stuff that they do out of the wishbone, but uh but you, you, that's not how they have generally gotten things done. So yeah, I thought that was really interesting, right? Did they is that just a shift in the type of personnel that they have? Are they doing things different or um or, or what it was, but I, I just thought that was a fascinating stat that that's that is not usually how they get their business done in big games, especially. And uh you know, they could be very dangerous if they've got that kind of capability this year against what I'm assuming is a is a pretty talented Campbell defense. Yeah. Um you know, and then uh and you also had a couple of um couple of D4 games as well. Oh, and you had uh, Pelham also beaten uh, Sanborn in a uh, another crossover uh, D3, D2 game there. I don't have the score in front of me, unfortunately. Um, you know, and then in D4, you had Newport uh, with a 53-10 win over Muscoma Valley. And uh, Franklin with a, a 22-20 win over Newfound. That's kind of a, um, you know, big win for Franklin. Of course, they, they struggled last year after making the final the year before in D4. So, a nice yeah. for them. Yeah, Newfound's always a, a, um, a consistent quality program, um, seemingly anyway. If I, you know, if I remember my recent history correctly, so that's a nice uh, that's a nice way to kind of come out, win a tough one with a little bit of adversity in it, and propel yourself with that that one and zero start is always important. Uh, so, I know we talked about a couple of games coming up uh, this week, but any others that um, kind of stand out to you? Uh, of course, we mentioned you know the the kind of I guess you say odd matchups of, you know, BG going to play Sauhegan. Uh, you know, you got, uh, it, it's a, an interdivision game this year with Newport playing Lebanon, but both of those were D3 teams a year ago. Uh, Spalding's playing at St. Thomas. Uh, that's a, an unusual matchup, I'd say. Uh, yeah. You know, kind of an interesting local matchup. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Hollis Brookline is playing at Milford. 
well, the first of two meetings uh, between the teams, I believe, this year, too. Yeah, and it will be Milford's first football game of the season. Um, so that, that'll be an interesting one. Uh, because that's another, like we talked about Sauhegan and Hollis Brookline as sort of a nice local rivalry last week. Very similar, um, you know, neighboring towns. Uh, they, they get heated at basketball time. It's been a good football rivalry and a good back and forth one too. Um, so that that's a good game of interest, I think. Um, there was another one that caught my attention on, on the list. I'm looking to see if I can catch it really quick here. Oh, um, Hillsborough during Hopkinton at Merrimack Valley. Yeah. Um, which, you know, under normal circumstances, you might have said, oh, you know, Valley's kind of rebuilding, and, you know, Hillsborough's been a, uh, a pretty consistent playoff team the last few years. But given the way that Valley opened up, um, you know, HDH could be looking at another big battle this week. And uh, so that could be a fascinating game, too, with – um, you know, HDH not wanting to go 0 and 2, you know, their first year coming back into Division 2, and Valley riding high after a you know a pretty quality win last week. All right, uh, I think you know that might that might just about wrap it up for us this week. I mean, I you know any any other final thoughts or um, yeah, anything to to send us out on? No, I don't think so. I'm I'm glad that the kids and the coaches are out there. They're able to have fun and with their teammates and their and their uh and their friends and compete with the game that they love i i i hope everybody continues to stay safe and we can continue to enjoy um, absolutely yeah this great competition that they're that they're putting on it's it's been like we've said kind of a fun because of the circumstances it's been a kind of a fun fall so far so i, I hope it continues yeah the uh the fellow doing the announcing at bow uh on saturday gave out multiple reminders to people uh to please keep their masks on, you know, if we, if, and he was saying, if we want football, we got to wear masks. And yeah. I, and I, I think that's the big that. thing, right? If we, if we were ever going to make a statement of some sort, you know, I, 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 I really truly want to see the players and the coaches be able to get through this season and see it through. Um, and, and, and the circumstances are tough. Um, so I think people have to be really diligent about, um, you know, the protocols and their behaviors and so forth, whether they're, you know, whether that's at practice or at games or whatever, you know, control what you can control. And hopefully these, uh, these teams all get to see it through and we end up getting kind of a, a fun ride along the way as a result. He is a longtime football coach in New Hampshire, Mike Lockman. Mike, uh, thanks again for, for joining me and, and uh, look forward to talking about next week already. Yeah, absolutely. I had a blast as always, Joe. Thanks. I am Joe Marcellina. Enjoy the games this weekend, and we will talk to you next week.